I like the warning to the children that the content may not be suitable. It tends to make the adults pay attention. <laughs> Perhaps we should try that each week. All right. The TV show, perhaps you watch TV, the TV show Breaking Bad finally came to an end a few weeks ago. Maybe you were sad about that. Uh, the show, for those of you who did not watch it, was centered around high school chemistry teacher who, after receiving a terminal cancer diagnosis, turned to cooking and selling crystal meth in order to store up some, a lot of cash for his family once he passed away. It, it's a very dark, and grisly and disturbing show, and it has all the evils in the world uh, displayed in, in a very evil manner, in a sense it's raw and it's striking. And, and it, the show is set up in a, such a way where people reap what they have sown in a very vengeful and wrathful way. And it's interesting that the creator uh, set it up that way. Here's a quote from the creator of Breaking Bad. He said, if there's a larger lesson to Breaking Bad, is that actions have consequences. I feel some sort of need for biblical atonement or justice or something. That's the way you should feel after we study the Bible today. If you've never watched Breaking Bad, that's fine. Just read Romans 1. It's going to be very dark grisly and disturbing about what's going on out in the world. But what the Bible is going to do is going to say, uh, you're part of that as well. And your heart is dark and grisly and disturbing. And by the end, I think we're all going to feel some sort of need for biblical atonement, justice, or something. And with that encouraging introduction, let's go ahead and turn to Romans 1. The last three weeks we have covered 17 verses in Romans 1 um, where God has called the Roman church and the Apostle Paul to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And since Paul has never visited the church in Rome, he is writing them a letter to explain his gospel because he wants them to get on board with his future mission, specifically to Spain. Last week we saw that the theme of the book or the thesis of the book in verses 16 and 17 how the gospel has the power to save because a righteousness of God is revealed that can be experienced by faith and the question is well, why do you need the gospel why is this good news and this is what we're going to harp on today and I hope you can stick with it it's going to be kind of painful but the gospel must first be bad news before it can be good news it must first be bad news before it can be good news. And it's, it's going to be really, really bad today. As we are going to see and look at all of humanity breaking bad. So let's go ahead and start with verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. This verse right here is kind of a header or a summary verse of the whole section leading up to chapter 3, verse 20. And the idea is that everyone is guilty of offending a holy and righteous God. 
The reality of God's existence and his ways are clearly evident, yet all of humanity continues to suppress the truth. And then we're going to get to those famous verses in chapter 3 where it talks about that none is righteous, no, not one. No one does good, not even one, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There are no good people. The Disney movies are wrong. There is no one that is good. No one should follow their heart. All in the sight of God are guilty, and God is fully just to pour out his wrath on all humanity. Now, I just got to say this because those of you with a sensitive conscience and are not quite tracking where we're going, I just make it clear that this wrath is coming upon those apart from Christ. So if you are in Christ, you need not fear. So if you're in Christ, don't be freaking out this whole time. All right? This is this describing the fallenness humanity apart from the gospel. That there is going to be this future condemning judgment by God that will come upon those apart from Christ. But this verse 18 says it's also a present-day wrath that is being poured out on those apart from Christ right now. And we're going to see that the specifics of this wrath that's being poured out right now is God handing people over to their sinful ways so they are stuck in this spiral of their cycle of sin that rules them. We're going to get to there. And so we're going to see that God is justified to bring his wrath upon all, both Gentiles and Jews. In verses 19 through 32, which we're going to cover today, are talking about the Gentile world, what is known as the pagan world. And we're going to see that in the sight of God, they stand condemned. But next week, in the weeks following, we'll move on to the Jews. So once Jews can affirm that the Gentiles are being condemned, Paul will turn the tables and say, you Jew are just as guilty as those Gentiles, for the wrath of God is upon you as well. So that makes these verses today really about all of humanity wrapped in sin and under the wrath of God. We had a little family conversation on the way over to church today. Me and my, my, my uh, four oldest children were talking about sin and God's wrath and what's the main problem. And for most people in here, I'm, I'm not going to speak for you, but probably for most in American culture or most people in the world, they would think the main problem is why doesn't God save everybody? Why doesn't everybody just go to heaven? Maybe some of you would think that's the main problem that you need to have answered. But that's not the question the Bible's trying to answer. The, 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 the question the Bible is getting at is, if God is holy and we are sinful, then why or how can he save anybody? That's really the question the Bible's trying to answer, especially in Romans. If he's holy, we're sinful. How's this going to work? How are we going to get in good with him? How's that going to work? And that's, that's where the gospel comes into play. But when we look at the sinfulness of humanity, we're going to see our need for the gospel. And I want to kind of let you know where I'm going today in these verses 19 through 32. So let me just kind of put up a little structure so you can follow along. This structure starts with the great exchange in verses 19 through 23. And this exchange is going to be the exchange of the glory of God for idols. That's the exchange that humanity has pulled off. And there's going to be consequences of the exchange that are going to be in the remaining verses of 24 through 32. And I'm just going to tell you straight up right now, the verses we're about to look at are so controversial. 
they are controversial uh, theologically. I'm going to say stuff theologically. You're going to go, I've never heard it before. And, and I, I promise you, I'm not making this stuff up. And then we're going to see some, some cultural controversy where there's stuff going on in our culture that can sound the exact opposite of what you're hearing this morning. Uh, but most of all, you're going to feel some personal controversy of what's going on inside of you. And so I think the verses are pretty clear, so I'm just going to say, here, you deal with it. <laughs> so I'm just going to preach them for what you're going to let God's word speak. But at the same time, I know that some of you have heard this for the first time, and you're kind of working through some issues and working this out. So I want to encourage you, rather than freaking out and storming out, there is another way. <laughs> and it's the way of let's talk about this. Because I understand it's new, and I know you want to think through these things, and we have context. It's called our ethos communities. Let's talk about these things. Let's keep talking about them, especially when they don't jive with the way you feel or what's been going on. Where does God's word come into play? So let's keep talking about it. Don't freak out. Don't storm out. Let's keep talking. Not in this venue, thank you very much, but let's talk after this and keep talking. So let's go ahead and start with this great exchange in verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So here comes the most controversial thing I'm going to say all day today. It's not later in the text. It's right now. Here's the most controversial thing I'm going to say all day today. These verses explain that all of humanity has enough revelation of God to condemn them to hell forever. That God has plainly revealed knowledge in himself to all. And how has he done that? Well, it's saying here through his creation. The Bible says, in the things that have been made. It is revealed that there is a God who is divine and eternally powerful. So when someone sees a towering mountain, something inside of them says there is a creator God. When they see an awesome sunset, something inside of them says there is a creator God. When they're walking along Lake Michigan here and they see the waves coming in, something inside of them says there is a creator God. There's something wired in us that when we see creation, we know there's a creator. I don't quote theologians much, but let me do it right here. Thomas Schreiner has put it this way. He says, God has stitched into the fabric of the human mind his existence and power so that they are instinctively recognized when one views the created world. The idea is that through this natural revelation of what has been created, people know that there is a creator now, the question that we like to talk about as students or theological students, especially at the seminary, is the question of, well, what about those people who have never heard? What happens to them? Well, the Bible says those people don't exist because all have heard. All know from creation instinctively that there is a God. But that revelation doesn't save them. It's only enough revelation to condemn them. It's only through the gospel, the preaching of the gospel, knowing of the gospel that they can be saved, but the natural revelation that they know that there is a God, they take that, and so they do. All humanity, they suppress the truth. 
It's like you're in a swimming pool with a, a beach ball. You know, you push a beach ball down, it wants to come back up, you push it down. That's what we're doing. We're suppressing the truth. We take the knowledge of God, we suppress it, and we distort it, and we twist it. And the Bible says we flip it. In fact, we exchange it. And here is the great exchange. Verse 21, look at it. For although they knew God, they did not honor him, ask God, or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. <laughs> so the right response to the revelation of God's eternal power and deity should have been, let's honor him. Let's give thanks to him. He deserves all the glory and all the worship and all the praise and all the honor. Give it all to him. But instead, the Bible says their reasoning became pointless. Their futile thinking and foolish hearts were darkened and what seemed like wisdom became utter foolishness as the glory of the immortal God was exchanged for corruptible idols. And the great exchange, human chose not to give glory to God. Just imagine God up here, give him all the glory and all the praise. And we said, no, we're going to exchange that and we're going to step down and we're going to worship images and idols of men. We're going to worship images of idols, even lower of birds. And then we're going to worship even lower of animals. And let's just go ahead and go down to snakes and to reptiles. Let's worship image and idols of them. The Bible is pretty clear that at the core of all sin, at the core of all idolatry, is the failure to give honor Glory and thanks to God. But chances are, if I went to your dorm room or went to your house or went to your apartment, you wouldn't have these little statues of a, of a snake and you wouldn't say that you worship that. You wouldn't have a little statue of a little man and say that you worship that. Some of you may have those idols, but most of you wouldn't. So our idols and our culture tend to be power, tend to be money, tend to be sex, tend to be good things like school that we turn into a great thing where we want to worship it, tend to be our grades. There are a lot of things, relationships, that we turn into idols and we make this swap. We say, God, no, we're going to swap you out for idols. I'm about to give you a picture of this great exchange and I want you to take this image with you. It's this. A few weeks back, my seven-year-old son had surgery to have his tonsils removed and his adenoids removed, sometimes referred to as his androids. So he got his tonsils and his androids out. And after this surgery, understatement here, he was in a lot of pain. Like he was freaking out for several days after. Like he would start moaning, groaning, hysterical, screaming and crying. Like almost like every two hours. And our night times were miserable. It felt like a newborn again. It's freaking out. I mean, we, had, we gave him so much drugs. <laughs> it wasn't working. He was still free. Every two hours, no joke. And so my wife, she was caring and kind. She said, I'm going to come and lay with you. I'm going to calm you down. I'm going to help you fall back to sleep. I'm going to be the loving mom. And she was very caring and compassionate. And it took him forever to calm down. And so she finally calmed down. Two hours later, he's up again. So she's trying to calm down again. And you know, I'm a guy. I'm the dad. I'm trying to find a solution. Man, my wife's still caring and kind, but it's just not working. So the next time he woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning, no joke, I stuck an iPad in his face. He loves playing on the iPad. 
And as he got the iPad, he's like, whoa. <laughs> and it started to calm him down. And he started to play games on the iPad, two o'clock in the morning, right? And then he'd fall back asleep. And when he woke up the next time, bam, the iPad was there. The great exchange was complete. On the one hand, he has loving, caring, kind mom ready to comfort him. No, 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 no. I'll take the iPad. This is what all of humanity has done. We have God. Perfection. The one that gives us the greatest joy. And we're to honor and thank him and glorify him. We say, no, 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 God. No, 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 no. No. You don't work. And we make the exchange for idols. And when we do that, there are going to be consequences. And the consequences are not pretty. And they're laid out before us here. Let's look at the consequences of this great exchange starting in verse 24. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You see that? They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Rather than worshiping and serving the creator, they worshiped and served the creature. And this idol worship of the creature instead of the creator has consequences. And here are the consequences. Ready? Verse 24, God gave them up. Verse 26, God gave them up. Verse 28, God gave them up. This giving them up is an expression of his present day wrath. Where God takes him and says, okay, you're liking your sin, you're loving your sin, I'm going to hand you over to it so you can feel the full bondage and the consequences of your sin. You want that? Go ahead. Have that. Go for it completely in your sin. If not my will be done, that's fine. Your will be done. God gives them up. And those caught up in this great exchange, well, they often... I was one of them. Make sex an idol. And get caught up in all types of sexual degradation. And verse 24 gives this general assessment. It says that God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. And their hearts are set on the sex idol. And God let them loose to the dishonor of their bodies among themselves. I was part of that culture. That was my heart. That was my life. And it's what's so interesting is that today we have songs that are celebrated like Robin Thicke's Blurred Lines are celebrated. But you know, back in the day, we had two live crew. That means nothing to some of you. That's all right. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Fully handed over to the grading of our bodies where we celebrate and are celebrating what we're doing. And God's like, all right, go for it. Just go for the pornography. Go for it. Go for it in your premarital sex, adultery, and a variety of other sexual morality. Go for it. Come on. Just get steeped in the consequences of your sin. Go for it. Just go and jump on out there. It's like, yeah, you know what? The, the hookup culture is really cool until it's not. And then you're caught and you're trapped. You've been handed over. 
And I'll tell you what, the Bible talks a lot about heterosexual, deviant sin. Crazy stories in the Bible of men and women caught in sin, like a ton. But the Bible, from time to time, yes, it even talks about what is not very popular in our culture, but it talks about homosexual relations, homosexual sins committed that are part of the wrath of God being poured out. Let's look at one of those passages. This is one of the most popular ones in Romans. You can't take this away from the Bible. You can't erase it. It's here. Verses 26 and 27. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. It's pretty clear in the Bible that God created sex to be between a man and a woman in marriage. And it is a good gift. And in our context here, the Bible calls it, do you see the words there? Natural relations. Verse 26, natural relations. But the exchange, the exchange that happens here is natural relations between a man and a woman in marriage are swapped for homosexual relations that are called, what are they called there? They're called contrary to nature. So natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, verse 26. Well, why are they contrary to nature? Well, it's contrary to the way God set it up. There's a variety of ways we could go into that, but it's just God's creation design. Men and women in marriage for sex. And since many men and women gave up natural relations, the Bible says right here that God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Women are with women, and men are consumed with passion for other men. And the Bible calls these shameless acts. These shameless acts of homosexuality lead to, to receiving the penalty of more punishment. What's that? Well, it just steeps them further in their cycle of sin. And I know, I know what I'm doing right now. I know, what, I know this is not accepted in culture. I get that. I know it's shocking to some of you that a church actually exists that believes the Bible. I mean, if you don't want this, and there's plenty of churches around here that have clearly scratched this out of their Bible. We can't do that. And I know it's shocking, but here's the reality. To say this in our culture and even in the Roman culture, shocking as well. Roman culture, they affirm and champion homosexuality just as much as we do in our culture. And so what we're trying to do is say, look, it's important for the church to be clear on what the Bible teaches. But at the same time, we want to say, hey, the gospel brings salvation to those who want to repent and believe in Christ. And the Bible even tells us uh, uh, in some verses about some of those who were steeped in homosexual lifestyle, steeped in the homosexual sin, being saved and converted. Yes, the Bible talks that way. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read it to you. I'm going to read it to you. This is actually in the Bible. I believe it. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. It says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then he goes and lists people who will not be in heaven. They're, they're practicing these things. Says, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, those who practice these things, nor men who practice homosexuality. And he goes on and on and on. And then he says, and such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. 
We continue to preach the gospel because all types of sinners repent, even those in the homosexual lifestyle. But that's a story I told last week of my friend who was radically converted, left the sin and started living a life of purity by God's grace. In addition, we want to say, look, we understand the ongoing struggle that many people have with same-sex attraction, even among us. We don't want to say, oh, you know, once you get converted from being that lifestyle, then you're never going to be tempted again. What is it? Sometimes that's just crazy talk. We all have different temptations, right? And so those who are still being tempted with the same-sex attraction want to keep bringing the gospel back, keep giving the gospel, keep showing grace and forgiveness and freedom. And there's a lot more that needs to be said, and I'm not going to talk about it here in this sermon, but it's why we have rented out the conference room over here at the Best Western. When this service is over at 1230, we're going to talk about all types of things. We want you to bring your questions, bring some, maybe some things you want to talk about. That's why we're doing that, because we can't do it all right now. But I'm going to give you some questions that we're going to attempt to answer over at this seminar. Here's some of the questions, maybe the ones that you've wondered can you be a practicing homosexual and a Christian? Next. Can homosexual desires be changed? What is the role of those who struggle with homosexuality in the church and church leadership? How do we welcome those who struggle into the church if we believe it is sinful? Is same-sex attraction and homosexuality biologically determined. Gaga, born this way. Is the biblical teaching on sexuality relevant for today? We're going to talk about these things. Hope you show up, we'll dialogue. But this is what we're not trying to do at this church. I'll make sure you're really clear on this because the consequences of the great exchange do not stop at sexual sins. Are we clear on that? We're not going to be, you know, like... A boy, God, just get them. Just get them. Get all those gays, get all those homosexuals, just get them. And we're going to stand up like we're some righteous person, right? Because you know what? If we read the rest of the passage, which we're going to do, then we're saying, God, just go ahead and get me too. God's wrath, apart from Christ, is on all. The passage continues. Let's go. Let's go. Verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Since they did not see fit to glorify God, then God is not fit to give them a sound mind, but hands them over to a debased mind that spirals out of control. Are are, are you seeing this? That sin not only corrupts our hearts through idolatry, sin not only corrupts our senses through sexual expression, but it also corrupts our thinking where our minds just get whacked and we start calling good, evil, and evil good. It just gets so corrupt. And it it leads to this great cycle. Now, here is a list that follows, and you're going to be on this list. I'm going to be on this list. Not that we commit these sins to the greatest extent possible, or even all of them, but we are on this list. Look at verse 29. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy. Anybody have that in their life in the past? Or even now? They're full of murder. What? Yeah, okay, maybe you haven't committed murder. Oh, but what did Jesus say? Mm, hate someone in your heart. Yeah, murder. You're guilty of that as well. Strife, deceit, maliciousness. 
You know, that's just kind of in our heart. We want to stir up problems. If, if you're married, don't think all the problems are from your spouse. You, you create a lot of those as well. They are gossips, slanderers. Ever talk about someone else? Ever dog someone else with something on their back? Ever spread gossip and pass it on? Or, or are you just informing? <laughs> gossip and slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, and boastful. I know the core of my sin is pride. You know, the arrogance. Inventors of evil, just making new stuff up. Just making and creating new evil to do. Disobedient to parents. <laughs> All right, you better, you're on this list. Disobedient to parents. Only one person was not disobedient to his parents, Jesus. And I don't see you te- teaching in the temple at 13 years old. I don't see you teaching in the temple. No, you're disobedient to your parents. 13, yes. Okay, keep going. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. <coughs> Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Oh, that's amazing. Not only doing this stuff, they're like, hey, man, you want to go do this with me? It's like, when, you know when you're little and you try to get your friends to do naughty stuff so you don't get in trouble? That's this. That's humanity. We're cheering one another on in our evil and depraved hearts and minds and lives. And that deserves death. Physical death, spiritual death, eternal separation from God forever. They're without excuse. You're without excuse. I am without excuse. Your heart has led you to break bad and participate in the great exchange. And God in his holiness and his righteousness is right to bring his wrath upon all of those who are apart from Christ. Do not let anyone deceive you that it's all good. Do not let anyone deceive you that it's all fine with your life and that you're good. That's not the case in God's eyes. There's a very striking scene in the season four of Breaking Bad. One of the main characters, maybe you've seen this, it's on YouTube if you want to see it. One of the main characters, Jesse Pinkman, goes to a Narcotics Anonymous meeting. Now, before showing up to this meeting, he previously had committed murder, and he's feeling guilty for that. And so he gives kind of a veiled version to the group. And he tells his story, and the group leader says, we are not here to sit in judgment. And to that, Jesse Pinkman goes off. Why not? Why not? If I just do stuff and nothing happens, what's it all mean? I mean, what's the point? So no matter what I do, hooray for me because I'm a great guy. I can just do whatever I want, do an inventory of what I've done, and accept it. What's the point? He's not going to accept the fact that all is well because he knows within his heart and his soul it's not. Because his life is crying out for atonement, for justice, for something. I'm reading a book right now called One Way Love. It has a wonderful, wonderful quote that fits. It says this. The gospel only sounds good to a heart that knows it is bad. And if you know that you're bad and under the wrath of God, apart from Christ, 
and can do nothing to fix yourself, then I have the most amazing good news for you. Get this. The greatest exchange ever has been revealed in the gospel. The greatest exchange ever has been revealed in the gospel. Jesus gets your unrighteousness and you get his righteousness. I'm not making this stuff up. The greatest exchange ever. Get this. Jesus gets your unrighteousness. The idea is that rather than God's wrath being poured out on you for your sexual sin, for your idolatry, for your evil heart, God's wrath is poured out on Jesus who is viewed unrighteous in God's sight and he dies on the cross bearing God's wrath, spilling his blood for your sin. He dies and he is buried. And then he comes back to life three days later. Proof showing everyone that that actually worked. That God's wrath was poured out completely on him. And now, the official swap, the official exchange has taken place through faith where you get his perfect righteousness. You can experience it through repentance and faith where in the eyes of God, his righteousness, the righteousness of Christ can be accredited to you. It's the greatest exchange ever, a swapping of your sin for his righteousness. That's unbelievable. I'm not making this up. This is real. And we, this can be yours and mine through faith. And I know there, there, there's some of you here who have yet to repent and believe, and you need to know that your life right now is screaming for either atonement or justice and judgment. You may be doing your thing. You may say, you know what? I'm fine. I, God's wrath. There's no fire and brimstone coming on my life right now. I'm, things are going good. You need to know that this is a time of God's forbearance. This is a time of God's patience. This is a time of his grace and opportunity to repent. Wrath can either come upon you or it can come upon Christ. And then the greatest exchange ever doesn't have to come upon you. It can go upon Christ and you can be forgiven for your exchange. I can be forgiven for my exchange. And that righteousness can be credited to us. So what I'm trying to tell you is that we all are involved in this breaking bad. It's right, but it's okay. We're with you. We're sinners too. Saved by grace and the greatest exchange ever. Let's pray. <clears throat> we worship you and praise you that our sin, not in part, but the whole, has been nailed to the cross and we bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. You have given us your grace that we did not deserve in Jesus. And I just ask that we would live, Lord, that you would enable us to live in this repentant life of grace. That you've targeted us. You've come after us. And I just ask that all of us in here, Lord, would turn from sin and embrace Christ, who is our righteousness and our right standing before you through faith. And may we rejoice in Christ today, our great deliverer and rescuer. In his name we pray, amen.